the reason why we should address the issue of unresolved guilt in general and why it's so important to think about is because it's one of the primary influencers on the growth of your faith. People kind of have a sense when they feel guilty and they don't like it, mm. uh, but people generally don't really do a deep dive and evaluate why do I feel guilty in these situations. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to help you learn how to study the Bible for yourself by showing you how to look into the historical, philosophical, and cultural background in which it was written. The reason why the Salty Pastor Podcast is so different is because we are trying to get you to think for yourself. Mm. Remember, what you believe is the most important thing about you, and therefore you should know what you believe and why you believe it. We are here for you, and we hope that this podcast helps you grow in your faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the salty pastor himself, Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak. Well, greetings, everyone. It's good to be with you today as we uh, dig into this uh, issue of guilt. And I'll tell you, uh, I have been inundated with a number of questions about it <laughs> and uh, people asking, wow, I never thought about it. So it's looking like uh, I have struck a nerve. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the great things about your preaching style is that it does start conversations. No one ever walks out of a service going, well, I'm done. I'm good. Don't need to say anything about that. There's always a comment, right? And I've, I've heard a lot of different conversations happening because of yeah. this topic, um, because it has hit such a chord with people. I mm. mean, even me and my fiance had a long talk about it the other day about it. So it, it was really good. Um, on Tuesday, we asked the question, if Christians are set free from the law of sin and death, then why do so many Christians struggle with guilt? Mm -hmm. So this study is really opening my eyes and <laughs> onto how important it is to understand the impact of guilt on our faith yeah. and our daily life, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the more I think about guilt, it seems that it impacts us more than we realize. How do we evaluate ourselves in order to see how unresolved guilt is impacting our faith in Jesus? What are the signs of unresolved guilt and how do we learn to see it within ourselves? Well, that, that's a great question the kind of let me answer the 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 unspoken premise of the question and that is the the reason why we should address the issue of unresolved guilt in general and why it's so important to think about is because it's one of the primary influencers on the growth of your faith people kind of have a sense when they feel guilty and they don't like it mm. uh, but people generally don't really do a deep dive and evaluate why do I feel guilty in these situations? Uh, guilt, of course, this emotional reflex has a broader impact on people as well, because I believe that guilt is a, uh, well, I don't want to say it's, it's uh, a cousin, but it's, it's basically the, the idea that when I don't measure up or I feel inadequate, is the same neural pathway and the same emotional response that you have when you feel guilty when you've done something wrong. Mm. So that that emotional embarrassment and that shock and all that other kind of stuff is the same thing. It comes from the same place. So it's really important to understand how this influences your growth in your faith. And as we studied on Tuesday, the New Testament it teaches that Jesus Christ redeems us, but not just spiritually. He redeems us intellectually and emotionally. It's not God's will that your faith not grow. 
Remember in 1 Thessalonians, this is God's will that right. you be sanctified, that you be set apart and useful. Oh, so he has a purpose and intent for my life. Exactly. It's uh, God is not wanting you to be burdened with unresolved guilt. The point of faith is to be free and to be set free from these things. And this includes being free from uh, uh, un- the unrighteous influence of unresolved guilt in your life. Now, when Jesus uh, talks about coming to us, you know, through the incarnation, when he came here in John chapter 10, where he says, I came that you might have life. Now, what's really interesting is sometimes people don't quote the first part of that verse where it says, the thief comes only to steal and destroy, Mm. but I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And the Greek phrase there is, uh, life to the full and some translations in English use the word abundance or abundant. Like I came that you might have abundant life. Uh, and so what you do is you get this sense in that Greek phrase that what Jesus is saying is that there's intent. I came not to just say, Oh, you're alive. See you later. Bye. Not just surviving. Yeah. And it's also not just, uh, okay, I fixed you. See you. Right. It's I came that you might have life to the full. Right. And remember when we talked uh, last Sunday, I brought up in John eight where Jesus says, if you follow my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so it's this point of that we do life in Jesus, we do life his way. And what that does is that results in this redemption of abundance, uh, a redemption of unrighteous things in our lives so that we live and walk in the righteousness of God bestowed upon us. And that's what gives us this fullness of life. It, it, it takes on a whole new meaning and intent. What hinders this, the fullness of faith, the fullness of life? Well, it's something that steals the fullness of joy, the fullness of strength, the the fullness of being able to overcome suffering. All of this is unresolved guilt. And we don't deal with unresolved guilt oftentimes because we don't pull out of this phenomena that we deal with the essence of our salvation. We don't go really, we don't do a deep dive on, wow, what is salvation? What has Christ actually done in me, in my innermost being? And when I really dig into that, and in that process, I get freed from the clutches and the chains of unresolved guilt. Because remember, unresolved guilt is unrighteousness. And therefore, like any unrighteous thing, it kills everything it touches. And one of the things that kills is, you know, you in your faith. And so that's important to understand. Yeah, I think the the idea that we're not just here, you know, that bringing it back to that chapter in John, where it's not just that he mm-hmm. made us, you know, not dead. Right. We're not just surviving. Not just surviving. It's thriving. We are mm-hmm. living in abundance and fullness, right? And that's the way he wants us to live. And we can't do that if we're being burdened and weighed down by guilt and shame that he set us free from, yeah. that we're putting back on ourselves. So this hope that Jesus gave us this redemption that he gave us, set us free from that. And we're not living our fullest lives when we are living under the weight of those things. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I think that that's really the key is the weight of those things 
it, uh, we've been redeemed from them. Right. Which then leads to the second part of your question, which I think is really important, and that is how do we know then that we haven't done a deep dive on the nature of our salvation and we have guilt, unresolved guilt that's influencing us. Mm. And the Bible's really specific about this. It gives, you know, I mean, I'll just rattle off seven of them. But one of the things is, is defensiveness. And we all know this. When people are really defensive about things, what do, what's the first thing we think when people are being overly defensive? We think, boy, they have They're a guilty. guilty of something. <laughs> They're guilty of something. Yeah. And so I think that's a big deal. You know, defensiveness comes out in, in all sorts of ways. I think another way defensiveness comes out uh, in is, uh, like I was saying earlier, guilt and the notion that you don't measure up or you're not good enough, Right come from the same place so it you feel guilty that you don't measure up mm. and so you're defensive and so there's a lot of it's not my fault it's not my fault it's not my fault you know i'm not responsible for that i'm not responsible for that and so it's interesting that defensiveness which comes from the guilt center it's a sign of guilt right but what's really interesting is in the dating world if you talk to women and you say, okay, what's the number one attractive thing? And what, what's the number one most attractive thing in a man, a guy? And they all say the same thing. And that is confidence. I, I don't want to date an insecure guy. And so I, I, over the years, you know, I've had a lot of guys say, okay, well, what is security? I mean, how do I come across as a secure guy and not be like an arrogant guy, you know, right. or a prideful guy? And I go, isn't that interesting? Because what they're doing is instead of asking, how do I change my heart so that I come across secure? What they're saying is they're asking a legalistic question. What rule do I follow so I come across mm, this way? Yes, yes, yes. Do, do you get that? Yeah. And so, so what happens is if you approach it that way, then every time you don't follow that legal thing, then guess what happens? You're like, oh my goodness, I'm defensive. And so women sniff out insecurity by defensiveness all the time. And this is why women a lot of times are initially drawn to guys who are aloof, guys who don't give them anything, don't respond, right? Because it comes across as what? Secure. Right. Because <laughs> they don't feel the need to have to defend their decisions, explain their decisions, you know, or any of that kind of stuff. So defensiveness is one of the, the signs. The second sign is risky behavior. You know, risky business. Risky business. Yeah, <laughs> addictive no, behaviors. You know, addictive behaviors. Risky behaviors. So things like you know, alcohol abuse, pornography. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could. The list could go on and on. These days, there's addictions for so many things. And these people say, "Oh, you're self-medicating." Right. And people, are, well, what are you medicating yourself from? Well, you're medicating yourself from guilt. Mm. <laughs> so if you're prone to addictive behaviors, then that's a good sign that you haven't resolved. And what's the first thing that they do when they try to get you to be free from addictive behaviors? You have to admit that you have a problem. You have to admit that you have a problem and they try to get you to do a deep dive on why are you prone to addictive? And most of that is because you're not, you don't have any tools to resolve the guilt in your life. Well, and those things also perpetuate additional guilt, right? Like if Absolutely. you have a pornography addiction, once you're in it, then you feel guilty that you fell into it. And then that 
adds more guilt that yeah. then just piles up. Well, the so addiction getting, cycle yeah. is driven by, by guilt. guilt and shame. Yeah, right? guilt and, and shame. So 100%. Even if that wasn't the original motivator that got you into the addictive behavior, then it just adds additional guilt, right? Mm-hmm. It traps you. Exactly. And another way to know that you're being influenced by guilt is gossip. And what's interesting about gossip is this, this isn't as much uh, a sign among men, you know, it's more uh, among females. And the reason why for this is because if men have a problem with somebody, they tend to, not always, but they tend, they either get angry, right? Or they deal with it. In other words, they'll, they'll do something about it. It's not such a big deal for men because men tend to do something, right? When, when they feel guilty about something, they act out. Uh, when women are feeling guilty about something or they don't measure up, they tend to gossip. And the, what they do is they attack a person's reputation in the community, whether it's another woman or particularly a man. They will gossip about that person. They will uh, create opinions, they'll come to conclusions, or they will say things to try to undermine that person's reputation. And so this is where the whole kind of archetype of mean girls comes from, you know? And that is, is that they're willing to judge you and then talk about your flaws and failures in front of everybody, how you don't measure up, you know, mean girls are always pointing out your flaws, right? Right. Well, this is, this is gossip. And it's really interesting is that that's how churches tend to be heard a lot. And Paul talks about gossip a lot more than he talks about anything else in the new Testament. It's really quite fascinating is that gossip is a real problem. And what it is, is that when you gossip, you are actually saying, I have an issue with guilt. I don't feel I measure up, so it's necessary for me to tear somebody else down or attack their reputation. And that's what gossip does. Gossip simply attacks a person's reputation. Now, a lot of people think, well, anytime you talk about anybody else for anything, that's gossip. Well, that's not necessarily true. Gossip at its core, particularly from a biblical definition, has a purpose and intent to it. And that is is to create a decline of reputation, right? A decline of standing of that person by sharing their flaws or their mistakes or making accusations against them. And so it's really interesting how that is such the case. Yeah, I think the the gossip's the one that I feel like happens most easily mm-hmm. um, because most people just don't even think about it now. And even when you said, you know, that's something that women tend to do, I think men are now more prone to it than ever because Mm. between social media and the way that that confidence has decreased in men Mm -hmm. across the board, I think that's an easier route of, well, they just kind of talk about other people and they're more prone to that now because of their change and shift in their confidence levels, right? And so I think what's interesting is it's the one that I think people least associate with guilt because it's, well, I'm just, well, I'm talking about somebody else. They're the one that's wrong. Right. And so it's like, well, that's not very nice, but you don't usually associate it with, well, why are they gossiping? What are they dealing with that they feel like they need to bring others down so that they can feel better about themselves? Exactly. That's insightful. You know, it's the least quality associated with guilt and yet it's the most common and therefore the most common driven by guilt. Right. 
And it's really interesting. Another, you know, another thing that happens is in families, this happens in extended families. It happens in polit- uh, office politics all the time. Uh, when you're in an office now, it's probably more prevalent pre COVID, but now that COVID is done, people are going back to the office, right? And once you get back in the office, it's back to the old politics. Uh, it happens in families. It happens in offices. It happens in churches a lot. And that is being divisive. And this is really common in families. It's really common in offices and corporations, organizations, uh, schools, universities. It's really, really common. And in churches, it's common. Neighborhoods, it's common. And the whole point is, is that unresolved guilt drives people to create a binary choice we're right and they're wrong. So they demonize a group of people, say we're right and they're wrong. And then you recruit people to your side and you try to show how you're right and they are wrong. And that creates divisions. And if there's one thing that everybody agrees on across the political spectrum, uh, across the ideological spectrum in America today is that we're pretty divided. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so there's been a lot of division. Well, why do we are we so divided as a nation? Well, I believe it's because people have all this unresolved guilt. And why do we have all this unresolved guilt? My contention is is because we've abandoned the Christian way to resolve guilt. Well, and I think part of it too is this idea of the unresolved guilt is then feeding into again, we go back to this lack of confidence, right? Because mm-hmm. you're guilty. You are no longer confident in who you are and what you believe, which then leads to you having to be right. I put that in air quotes for Mm -hmm. those who are on our podcast. Be right about something so that you can feel better that I'm on the right side or I'm the one that's for this thing that's better Mm -hmm. for the world, right? Because, I mean, it's politics. Politics is one of the easiest things to be divisive about these days. Correct. And I think a lot of it comes down to people aren't willing to have a conversation of, well, your political views differ from mine, but let's talk about what we differ on and what we agree on, right? It's just, now it's just... I'm going to scream as loud as I can about how I'm right and you're wrong because that makes me feel better because I'm dealing with unresolved guilt. Mm-hmm. And the only way I can feel better is if I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. No longer, a, oh, we have a difference of opinion and, you know, I don't agree with that, but at least, you know, we can have a civil conversation. Now it's just a screaming match because I have to feel better about myself and win, quote unquote, in order to feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. So I think that is something that, whether it's politics or anything else, I think that what you're saying rings very true to me of this unresolved guilt is causing people to polarize more and more because they're trying to fix an internal issue with an external affirmation of, well, I won that debate or, you know, I was right or wrong, or those people are not as good as my viewpoints or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I I think that that's a perfect illustration of it. I I think another way that comes out in our culture, which is, is really big is that being divisive is this notion of, uh, uh, making accusations of pe- against people without any proof. You know, I, I just recently in the political realm, this is probably a few years back, is Brett Kavanaugh was a Supreme Court nominee, and they brought this person forward, right, that accused him of these things without any proof, without any facts, without anything. And, boy, he and his family were just really put through the ringer, which is really sad. And even to this day, there's a, a political side that attacks him because of that, even though none of that was true. 
And so divisiveness, I think the unwillingness to want to build bridges, the unwillingness to want to try to bring people together, you know, Jesus said that peacemakers, (laughs) you know, are blessed because we're trying to bring peace. We're trying to bring people together, not be divisive. And so divisiveness is common in our society today because of unresolved guilt. Mm. And that's because we've abandoned the real way that it can be resolved. People are not psychologically, emotionally, and intellectually healthier today than they were 50 years ago. And so that's important to note. Uh, And there's a reason for that. Now, I think another one is, uh, another sign is, uh, in psychology, they call it blaming. Uh, Some people call it transference. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's called, I call it the creating of a scapegoat. And the whole point of the scapegoat is that in the Jewish law, every year, the priest of the village or the town brought everybody together and he was supposed to take a goat, right? And they were supposed to cast the iniquity of everybody in the town or the village on the goat. And then they would chase it out into the wilderness. Of course, it'd be eaten by wolves or lions or whatever that's out there. And so they called that the scapegoat. And so they would put all of their iniquity sins on the goat and then drive it out. And so today we do this all the time. If you have unresolved guilt, you are driven subconsciously to place that somewhere, right? So there's transference or there's blame. And a big sign of a guilty conscience is when you're constantly trying to find someone or something to blame for the cause of your suffering or your perceived injustice. Yeah, I think we see this in so many different ways across the culture. We could probably spend an entire yeah. podcast just on this particular topic because today the today's age, the thing to do is it's never your fault. It's always someone Nobody else's, else's like, fault. Yeah. Even if you're, I mean, this isn't even based on whether you have guilt or not. I think the world just encourages you and maybe it's because there is so much unresolved guilt. They're like, well, just blame somebody else and then you don't have to feel bad about it, right? So if you can put your problems on somebody else and say it's their fault, then it's easier on you. And so the world encourages you and rewards people for exactly transferring responsibility and choices onto mm-hmm. other people, whether it's their fault or not. Now, obviously there are definitely points where that is true. We're not saying every single person that's ever been blamed for something never did it. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think more often than not these days, it's easier just to blame somebody else, whether they were responsible or not for your problems and yeah. your life, which I think kind of leads into the other point that one of the other signs you were going to talk about, right? Yeah. And you know, before we kind of z- z- leave this one, there's one other thing. And that is, is that an illustration of this is when you have two people that are dating and they've gone through a divorce, a lot of people will come and say, well, how do I know that the person I'm trying to have a relationship is over the pain they've healed from their divorce? And I always tell them how open they are about their own mistakes. Mm. And see, what do we always tell people? The path to healing over anything is you have to do what? You have to own your own stuff. Right. But what does blame do or creating a scapegoat do? It stops you from taking responsibility or it doesn't allow you to own your own stuff. So if you're always looking for someone to blame, then that's always doing what? It shows you, boy, I, I, I'm not resolving this guilt right. in my life, which in that, that's why so many, the next one is people feel like victims. I think feeling like a victim is a big sign that you have 
an issue with unresolved guilt. Uh, when you, it's a tough one because anytime something bad happens to you or something goes wrong, you're going to suffer, right? And suffering's never fun. I mean, people walk around saying, oh, yeah, I get to suffer. Woohoo. Right. You know, okay. I mean, Paul calls us to do that, yeah. but I don't think that's a natural yeah. response. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's not my natural response. I'll tell you that right now. Our, and the, what happens is when something goes wrong and we suffer, you know what our brain does? The, our brain is wired to do this. And because we're intelligent, it happens quickly. It causes us to figure out how not to ever experience that again or to let that happen again. Mm. Okay. And so now that not wanting bad things to happen to me and trying to avoid them or plan around them, that is not feeling like a victim. Feeling like a victim is something else. Uh, it's a mentality. Uh, what happened is it used to be called self-pity, right? Or it used to be called feeling sorry for yourself. That's what we used to call it. Today, we call it being a victim and getting in a victim mindset and then rationalizing your victimhood. And so I think that there's a difference between those two. One is, boy, bad things happen to me. I don't want that to happen again. That's not victim mentality. Victim mentality is, it, it's, it's not my fault. And what it does is it counteracts your brain's natural tendency to want to figure out what can I do to never let that happen again. You just sit there and go, I'm a victim. There's nothing I can do. And I'm going to continually be victimized this. So it even counteracts what your brain actually wants to do. And that's why I think it creates so much emotional and psychological dissonance in a person's life. Yeah. I, I see this in a lot of my friends actually, um, that are not believers and even mm -hmm. some that are, I, I see this mindset that has been enforced by the world that you you know, things happen to you. It's not your fault. You are yeah. free of all guilt and you should be, uh, you should just sit and wallow in wallow. your, yeah. Yeah. wallow in your like self pity about it. Right. And it's like, well, you can sit here and complain about it or you can stand up. I mean, I was, I spent half my early life on a ranch. I think about it as you stand up, brush it off, get back on the horse. <laughs> you the world, keep going. The world promises you nothing and you're not going to get anything unless you go after it. And that's like, right. that's just the, the mindset I was raised with. So I really struggle to empathize with people who are just feeling victimized. Right. They're when wallowing it, when they're wallowing. Like yeah. obviously again, there's always the, there are people that are actual victims, but we're talking right. about people that, you know, Oh no, this happened to me. Oh my gosh, the world's against me. Nobody loves me. And I'm just going to, da, 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 yeah. da, and I'm just like, I really struggle to empathize when I hear these things from friends who are doing this. And I'm like, I can't, I just can't, I'm sorry. I just need you to pull, pull it together. Cause there's a lot worse <laughs> things happening in this world. But see what you're <laughs> doing is you're, you're helping them because when you feel like a victim, it should be a sign. If you're always feeling this way, it should be a sign to you that you have issues with a resolving your own guilt and what you're doing is you're trying to push them to resolve it and i should probably push harder most of the time i just kind of nod and then in my head i'm thinking let's get over this well that's that's where dr phil's you know approach is is he goes well how's that working for you yeah <laughs> you know so which leads us to the last one i think this is really common today and i brought it up a little bit with that supreme court nominee brett kavanaugh is that it's called bearing false witness and that is it's interesting because most people think of that in terms of uh, the legal system. Right. Oh, I'd never sit in a courtroom, no take the vow, no and perjure myself. perjure myself by saying that person is is a dirtbag or that person is a criminal. You know, that person's a thief. I'd never do that. 
But that's not the point of bearing false witness. Bearing false witness is forming an opinion without evidence. Mm. It's forming an opinion without evidence and then sharing that opinion. I learned this lesson the hard way, uh, which most of our best lessons were learned the hard right. way, right? When I first started out in the ministry, you know, and and uh, I was uh, working in a church, first church I was working in is called Westside Christian Church at the time. And uh, one of the associate pastors uh, said, hey, let's get together for breakfast. And so we got together for some breakfast and we were talking. And so this associate pastor who'd been there much longer than me, I was brand new and green, started sharing with me that, well, our senior pastor is this way. Okay. So he would share opinions and then I'd get all fired up about, well, that's not right. That's, we need to do something about that. Da, 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 da. That's not right. That's not right. And so one day he said something, I said, well, I'm scheduling a meeting right now with the senior pastor to work this out, blah, 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 blah. And he kind of went, I, I think he goes, I think I've made a mistake here. <laughs> cause, cause what he was doing is he was, he was bearing false witness against the senior pastor by sharing an opinion without evidence because he felt like he didn't measure up. He wasn't getting his just dues, mm. his just accolades or his just whatever, whatever he, felt entitled he to. Yeah, entitled to in his role. You know, he was an associate pastor and he wasn't the senior pastor. So it's jealousy, right? And what happened is it ended up resulting in, it could have been just an explosion. Uh, but, but thank goodness, you know, he saw the error of his ways and I got caught up into it. And so, you know, what, what's really difficult in today's world, this is something that's really salty to say, but it's really difficult in today's world. And I really feel for churches across the board. And that is, is that whenever a staff member leaves a church, right? They either leave well or poorly. Mm. There's never in between. It's either one star or five star, right? right? <laughs> it's one or the other. And what's really fascinating is there are only two areas where churches have been sued and it was successful. One is covering up sexual abuse, right? Okay. So don't ever do that. Don't That's do bad. That. <laughs> That's very, very bad. The only other area that churches have been sued successfully is when a former employee has sued the church for damaging their reputation or their capacity to get another job. Mm. So whenever you have to let an employee go or you separate ways, you try to come up with a, a thing called an agreement to say, well, we won't disparage you. You don't disparage us. But the thing that's interesting about it is that the employee, the former employee can disparage all they want. They can say anything they want. And the, but the church can't. And oftentimes most people are gullible and a former staff member will call them and then say, I want to go to lunch with you. And then they'll say all this stuff, right? And they create division. They create problems. And what happens is they go, and you know, I'm right because they won't address it or they won't say anything. And what that you don't realize is that former staff member is trying to get you to goad the church into responding so that they have a lawsuit against them. And we were talking about this a couple podcasts ago about the Mars Hill situation. And that came to my mind over and over about that podcast. And I just thought, I don't know, my, my opinion is you go and you do a podcast and all you do is talk to disgruntled people. That's, that's called bearing false witness. 
And in Proverbs chapter six, it says there's seven things that are an abomination unto the Lord. And one of them is what? He who stirs up division among the brothers. And then the last one is he who bears false witness. Yeah, I think, I mean, if we're using the Mars Hill thing as an example, they have evidence, but they're not giving out all of the evidence, right? right? And I think that's where the main issue is. Even with disgruntled staff members, yes, conversations that they will tell people when they want to take them out to lunch or whatever, some of those things may have happened, but it frustrates me like no other when people making a, a choice or form an opinion based on one side of the story. Right. I, I used to be a policy debater. Policy debate is all about hearing both sides of evidence. Both sides of the story. Before, and you have to have evidence. If you want to do Lincoln Douglas, Lincoln Douglas is all about philosophy and opinions. Yeah. You can literally say whatever you want. No one's going <laughs> to fact check you. Yeah. But policy debate is based on evidence. And so it frustrates me, whether it's in political debates or in church situations or whatever, when someone says, well, I know blah, 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 blah did so-and-so. And I'm like, okay, well, did you even go talk to them? Did you talk to their supervisor? Yeah. Did you talk to anyone what around them? what proof do you have? Or, yeah. And did you, like, even just hearing the other side of the story, because that's the other thing, right? Like, more often than not, yeah. people will leave a church because they heard one person say, well, I had this experience, and they never go talk to the elders. Yeah. They never go talk to any other staff member. Right. They never go hear any other side of the story other than the one they heard. And I'm yep. like, you have no idea whether that person completely fabricated that story or not. You're going based off of one single person's That's right. testimony. And that doesn't hold up in the court of law, so I don't know why you would make your decision on whether you stay or leave a church based off of something that you can't even prove in the court of law, right? But I think that, I think people who have unresolved guilt, that's very, what I would call, it resonates with them. And so they do that. And, and then they don't realize how silly this is and how it hinders their own faith. Because the whole point of this discussion is, is not what I think you should do or what you think people should do. The whole point of this study is, you as a follower of Christ, you who want to grow in your faith, what should you do to evaluate yourself in order for you to grow? And one of the things, my hope and prayer for everybody in this whole discussion is that you can figure out your relationship with guilt so that you can see how your guilt manipulates you and at times influences you to do things you shouldn't do. Mm. And when you do things you shouldn't do in the back of your mind, you might feel like, well, as a former employee, let's use that illustration. I have a right to do this because I was dealt unjustly, you know? And so you fire off a letter and you send emails to people and stuff like that. But then what happens is in the back of your mind, you realize, man, I'm, I'm still not doing this right. Which makes me feel more guilty. That just adds fuel to your, self-aggrandizement and self-righteousness of being, I'm going to, you know, take this place down. It's just because some people look at, from the outside and go, what is wrong with those people? You know, why, why do you care so much about this or that? And so I think it's because of unresolved guilt that our faith is hindered. And then Satan uses that to manipulate us to do damaging things to the body of Christ. Absolutely. Well, Pastor, any other final thoughts before we head out for the day? Well, I think we'll just leave it there and we'll keep digging into this. It'll be fun over the next few weeks. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Make sure you're subscribing to the YouTube channel. If you're not, that helps the 
the channel, the Salty Pastor experience as a whole. The YouTube recommends the videos more to people if we have more subscribers and we want to get that count up. And we can only do that with your help. So hit that button. It takes literally half of a second to click. <laughs> and then you are instantly giving back to the Salty Pastor podcast. Yeah. If this is something that has helped you at any point in time, that's an easy way to do it. Um, but we really And if you listen on any of the podcasting forums, you know, particularly Apple Podcasts, give it, what is it, five star yeah, or thumbs up? Do, Apple's the only one that does ratings anymore. Okay. And so if you have a chance, do that on the Apple Podcast. Leave a rating to help get those mm -hmm. boosted up. If this has been something that's helped you, um, we want to see that growth and help reach other people. Other than that, we'll hopefully see you guys on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church for a message. If not, we'll see you on Tuesday on the next episode of the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.